Welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine. This show is written, produced, and recorded by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program in Hu Chin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to colonizers as the Bay Area. Tonight's broadcast is the third show in my series focused on healing racialized trauma in the African-American community. Today, we'll hear from powerful, Oakland-based, African-American master poet and storyteller, Tarita McHale. Tarita's first full-length book was recently published and released by Nomadic Press, and I was lucky enough to be present for the book launch on February 15, 2020, at the Eastside Arts Alliance in Oakland, California. Today, you'll hear Tarita reading some of the poems from the book and share in a conversation we had about her work and her journey. I'm your host, Theodora. Please stay with us. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Full Circle. Again, I'm Theodora, your host. James Cagney, author of Black Steel Magnolias in the Hour of Chaos Theory and winner of the 2019 Josephine Miles Penn Oakland Award, had this to say about Tarita McHale's book, Synchronicity, the Oracle of Sun Medicine. Be careful, casual reader. Cold, hard truths lie within. These are not poems. They are corrective sermons written to turn you around to look squarely in the face of logic and reason. Synchronicity, the Oracle of Sun Medicine, is a double-barreled book blasting holes clean through your assumptions and understanding of nature, spirit, history, and race. It aims to disassemble language down to its barest elements to help readers rebuild common sense from scratch. A veteran teacher, master storyteller, Tarita McCow is a lyrical wonder digging deep into the words and symbols we too often take for granted. There's a reason events rhyme and repeat. There's a grander purpose behind those synchronistic events and occurrences linking like a chain around you. The answers you need are lit and laid open at your feet. The journey is yours to take. Jenny Lim, American poet, playwright, performer, and winner of the 1981 American Book Award, said this about Tarita's book. Read Synchronicity, the Oracle of Sun Medicine, sitting down. It ain't for the faint of heart. Not only will Tarita not lay down her sword, but her words are her weapons. These poems are a powerful act of exorcism and resistance against white racism and the violence it wields. 
Tarita calls out the racist demons of black history through her rant, cant, and naming of their multiple evil disguises by her use of puns. The arc of the book follows Mikhail's own journey to healing the broken circle within herself, her community, and in the world without, through angry catharsis to self-reflection and self-reconciliation. In the final chapter, it's the intimate connections Mikhail forms with people in nature that are the light and oracles of her son, Medicine. I was blessed to be present at Tarita's book launch on February 15th, 2020 at the Eastside Arts Alliance. Let's listen to part one of that historic event. Our next poet is an educator, a consultant, a poet, a griot slash elocutionist slash story medicine woman, and also my spiritual advisor. <laughs> Synchronicity, the Oracle of Sun Medicine is her first full-length collection. Give it up for Tarita! <laughs> Wow, I am a reflection of all the warriors out here and we have different ways of warring to lift this off our backs. Everyone has their way. I'm just one of them. But I so appreciate this love because this is like coming and flowing and you know, it's wow. Well, so, you put out work sometimes that scares you. It, it's like, oh, should I do this? And then something is riding you, and then you get a blip of something on the news. <laughs> they can say that. <laughs> Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? You know, it's, there's no time to hide now. You know, we have things to do, we have things to say, we have children. I mean, aren't we interested in the future? It's interesting when you hear people speak, they don't talk about the future. It's like they're stuck in a presence that's just void of children. Like children aren't listening. I did um, uh, poetry in the schools, fourth grade. All I did was teach some hyperbole, metaphor, simile completed the anthology of the fourth graders, hand a copy to the principal. The principal opens it up and says, have you been discussing politics with these children? I said, children aren't stupid. Fourth graders? <laughs> I mean, they are listening. So, wow. What, what can I say? This, this is why, and I'm, I'm going to read this one uh, first. It's the BWYB news. It's the be watching your back news. The Goldilocks cover up. Because, you know, children begin to take things in and believe that they too can do what Goldilocks did. This is the BWYB news. Be watching your back. The Goldilocks cover-up. This just in tonight, Goldilocks breaks in three bears' home. 
Three Bears charged Goldilocks, a.k.a. the Golden Bandit, with illegal entry, among several other crimes, implicated early Tuesday morning. Witnesses say the intrusion took place just after the family left for a walk in the woods. It was stated when Golden Bandit knocked on the door, no one answered. She let herself in. Moments after alleged entry, a witness on the wing said, quote, I saw Bandit steal and consume bear food, vandalize the furniture, and sleep in Baby Bear's bed, unquote. Investigations confirmed strands of blonde hair found in Baby Bear's bed did match that of Golden Bandit. Further investigations proved that the fried chicken, cornbread, sweet potatoes, and collard greens found on soiled clothing of Bandit was indeed taken from Bear's stove day of alleged break-in. However, despite evidence leaning heavily against Golden Bandit, Bandit stated, when the bears arrived home from their walk in the woods, I feared for my life. <laughs> right? <laughs> wow. A witness on the prowl confirmed Bandit's accusation, stating that he in fact saw Bandit flee from bears' home, screaming repeated allegations of rape and attempted murder. Bandit's father, a superior court judge, <laughs> stated that he would prosecute the bears to the fullest extent of the law and signed warrants for their arrest. Yeah, that's where it goes. Mr. and Mrs. Bear held in Mad Polly Trick County Jail. Sue Golden Bandit for illegal entry, theft, vandalism, loitering, and defamation of character. The Bears also sued for reparations they claim is due for injustices such as these reoccurring in their family's history for the past 500 plus years. Sadly, however, Child Protection Services have placed Baby Bear in foster care until courts can further decide whether or not Mr. and Mrs. Bear are fit parents to raise baby in a safe, healthy environment. That's it for tonight. This has been the BWYB News saying, we tell the truth about the fairies on your tail. This next piece I'm going to do, uh, this particular piece I was afraid to read. I was uh, asked to do a piece for the 70th uh, birthday of Octavia Butler. And uh, this piece just spoke to so much in Parable of the Sower that I had to do it. My people. My people turned away from worshiping their source of miracle and magic done. My people turned away from worshiping earth, water, winds, stars, and sun so they could worship someone on a cross. Now so many are lost. Deceived and made to believe guilt from another culture, a vulture polluting our well-beings with sights of non-realistic dreams. Now too many cry because too many die by sacrificial death, worshiping lies. Try to turn us from the sun and memories of water, fire, light, wisdom. 
drums, sacred hums, trees holding seeds with enchantments and glories, telling stories, evoking magic, sacred names, bringing thunder, lightning, and rain. Lord of my law, my gods, my people turn from senses, engraved by life's light, where body was first scripture and earth by heaven held the scripts to the laws of life from water spirits smells and spells with atmospheric wells of genetic keys from winds oracle messages through soft breezes from mother tongues sacred words connecting third eyes from birds seasonal flight messages and skies and the naming of our children for the presence in their lives from earth where gardens had worth and birth was not an ongoing pain, where raising the young was not a fearful gain, where life wasn't frequently visited by the insane and maimed for and by a chemically synthesized, drug-infested, diseased, murderous rain. Yes, my people are troubled, yet they secretly know the poisonous snake they fight each day. As ancestral spirits whisper, whisper miracles and magic done with earth, water, wind, stars, and sun. Where darkened skin sung firelight wisdom as dark simmering coals housing souls in spiral rolls of rainbow lights, seers of scripted sights. Yes, my people are troubled by what might have been, could have been before we allowed them to turn us away from worshiping earth, water, winds, stars, and sun, so we could worship someone on a cross. But this too shall pass. It's, uh, it's heavy what we go through because the realities that are confronting us as we, you know, face children, babies, you know, and, it, and it's funny, some white supremacists don't understand why their babies are looking at me laughing because they're not trying to smile, you know, it's like, what? and the baby's going, hey, I know you, hey. we're going to clean all this stuff up, right? <laughs> you know, babies know. Babies know. I'm going to read uh, a piece from the Black Panthers during the time uh, of being in the uh, George Jackson Free Health Clinic. Life Light Remembered. We are soldiers on the battlefield with life light in our eyes, said Sister Sonia. 1994, 23 years after volunteering at the George Jackson Free Health Clinic, the Tribune calls asked, how many guns did you have at the Black Panther Clinic? How many guns? Not how many services were provided, not how many programs were implemented, not how many doctors or healthcare workers volunteered, not even why we care to put into practice such a program with so many hospitals in our community. No, didn't ask any of that. Wanted to know how many guns we had. Not what illnesses or diseases most affected our communities, 
or how often we screen for diabetes, sickle cell, or checked for high blood pressure, if at all, or what may have been my specialty at the time. <laughs> wow. I would have told her about certain grains to regain genetic memory. But she was more interested in how many guns we had, not who ran the clinic or what hours or days of the week we were open or who was our hero or she wrote to set about such a task that sustains our health needs today. No, the reporter didn't ask any of that. Wanted to know how many guns we had. Black men and women, late teens to 20-somethings, volunteered to become doctors, nurses, pharmacists, therapists, completed homework between seeing patients. Black volunteer staff physicians, Dr. Talbert Smalls and Eddie Newsom developed methadone programs to destroy heroin dependence, reverse curse of opioid addiction, purposely placed in our neighborhoods to weaken the black power pace. We took vital signs, provided prenatal care, kept patient records, organized charts, med rooms, pharmacy gave better care than Kaiser dared, held life light in our eyes, books, our bullets, educationally armed, our right to fight through walls that imprisoned us as violent, jerk-infested, gun-carrying, sex-crazed chickaboos. Kwame Turi warned, education in this country makes you stupid, but what is worse, it makes you arrogant in your stupidity. The revolution is coming whether you want it or not. It is coming whether you want it or not. We must be politically prepared for what is coming. The revolution will not be televised, not be televised, not be televised. The revolution will be live. How many guns did we have? We were soldiers on the battlefield with life light in our eyes. We are soldiers on the battlefield with life light in our eyes. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on stag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the court from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. Welcome back to Full Circle here on KBFA 94.1 FM. I'm your host, Theodora. 
In her book, Synchronicity, the Oracle of Sun Medicine, Tarita McHale tells us that sun medicine is an antidote against oppression. It is an act of resistance, she says. In my first broadcast in this series, Healing Racialized Trauma in the African-American Community, Debbie Hailu of Healthy Black Family stated, healing is an act of revolution. We just heard master poet and storyteller Gil Scott Heron telling us in 1971 that the revolution will not be televised. If that was true, then why are we still watching so much TV? Before the music break, you heard part one of Tarita McHale's recent book launch at Eastside Arts Alliance. Let's listen to part one of a recent conversation I had with Tarita. In Synchronicity, the Oracle of Sun Medicine, Tarita McHale lets loose soaring compositions and no quote is out of the question on this piano. She is our mother of the blues. Here is a poet who never surrenders her love for her people. She is the eternal revolutionary. That was Tango Isin Martin, author of Someone's Dead Already and Heaven is All Goodbyes. How does that feel when somebody speaks about your voice in this way? It lets me know that they see me. As poets, we talk about how poems won't let you go. Like my godson, James, would say, Lucille Clifton said, you know, you know a poem is yours because it will not let you go. It comes to you knowing that it's going to be written by you. And that's the way I have felt. And so, you know, yes, there are ghosts. That's why there's a poem in this book called Holy Ghost. Hmm. Because my experiences since childhood with spirits is, is just what is. And I feel that's what is for us as a people anyway. Yes, yes. You know, when we were at the book launch, you got a very warm, very resounding reception. The MC used the word griot to describe you. What is a griot for those who might not be familiar with that? Well, there's many uh, different references that people will give, but uh, what I've seen of the African understanding, what I've, I've seen and experienced is the keeper of the culture those things that need to be handed down from past generations to present generations for forward-moving generations of our culture, uh, those things that keep us healthy, that keep us whole, that keep us healing each other in the truth and strength of who we are as a people that will not allow others to say, no, this does not exist in your culture. Like a child once told me when I told them about the Dogons of West Africa. And he said, my teacher told me that that's not true. And I said, well, hun, it is. And so <laughs> it is. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we talk oh, about wow. books and writings and storytellings and music that, you know, may share it. Uh, there's so many ways to tell a story or that the griot can perform the art of sharing and helping to heal the culture. You know, when I first heard BWYB news clip, the Goldilocks cover-up, that's a centuries-old practice. 
that you describe. You just used a few words to describe it so well. How do you do that, Tarita? How do you how do you take something and paint a picture of it with words, with language? It may be because, you know, being a mother, teaching poetry in the schools for all the years I have and had children come up to me asking, will you read the Goldilocks stuff? You know, just handing me these little brown black babies, handing me the book to read. Read Goldilocks. That book is subliminal entitlement or a form of racism or white supremacy because the bears in many of the books that our black and brown children receive look at Goldilocks in almost a smiling, comforting way. I am so sorry we scared you. Oh, my God. For breaking in our house and eating our food and sleeping in our baby's bed and breaking its furniture. I'm sorry that we scared you when we came back into our home. Mm, mm. You know, it's like it's disturbing. I know there are many stories about Goldilocks. Mm-hmm. I've talked to Native Americans, Latinx people that have their version of Goldilocks because they are aware that this is a uh, entitlement piece and that the bears represent the black and brown folk mm-hmm. that are just supposed to be fine with it. Hmm. I remember you saying sometimes you put out work that scares you. It makes you ask yourself, should I do this? But then something starts riding you. What is that thing that's riding you, that's driving you, even if you're afraid? Well, you know, it's, it's like the spirits. You know, you can be up in the middle of the night and something is like, I, I said, but I'm tired, but you have to finish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you have to do this part and it will ride you. And if it's not riding you, it's going to ride somebody else. Mm-hmm. So that spirit will ride you, especially when you begin to question. You know, during the book launch, you talked about doing poetry in the schools. You did it with fourth graders. And the principal of the school asked you if you've been talking to these children about politics. I know. (laughs) That was so funny. That was hilarious to me. What do you think that's about? I believe people are uh, in comfort zones. They tend to forget. There's a, a song called The Logical Song. It's, it's what happens when we are removed from the magical and mystical of things and mm-hmm. made to be cynical and practical. Children like the magical and mystical. They like being in touch with their senses, but they're told through psychology and theology not to sense or feel or lean on their own understanding. And that becomes a problem because (laughs) we lean on our own understanding for many things. And these children, all I gave them were figurative tools of language to use in writing poetry. And they, they took off because they're listening to their environment. Their environment speaks to them. The environment tells them what is going on. Children are not ignorant lumps of clay sitting without Mm -mm, being mm -mm. receptive to what's going on around them. They listen. They feel. They hear. They get it. 
and and that anthology that the children did, they were very, very excited to receive that anthology, so much so to the point they were willing to risk time from recess to receive those anthologies first. And we all know how important recess is to children. Oh, yeah. But they, they wanted to see their work. They had done rewrites. They had done their little illustrations. So why did that make the principal uncomfortable? Who is comfortable with intelligent children? Very few people. Right. But in your book, you say, in every deliberation, the impact of our decisions must be made on the next seven generation. Those faces yet still beneath the ground. And that's a Native American law of the seven great nations. It seems that your poetry answers questions. And asks a lot of questions. Ask a lot of questions. Yes. The book is filled with lots of questions. You also said during the book launch that people are comfortable talking about the present, but they don't seem to ever want to talk about the future. They don't mention children. Right. I, I heard that. I mean, it was something I heard on the radio, but some things are so counterintuitive. If I'm unable to write it down right at that moment, I may forget it because I can't hold that counterintuitive thought in my head long enough to deal with that. It's like motion sickness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's like emotion sickness Sick-ex. because, uh, you know, it. They'll talk about things as though children are not here watching and listening. But, you know, as the old theology, Christian children are to be seen and not heard, Mm -hmm. that is still occurring. Because if you do care about the future, you would consider your decisions and what the impact would be seven generations from now. Mm -hmm. The energy healing aspect of things. (laughs) And, and this is why the, the poetry is taking on the discussion of, of things because of energy, the, the sun, the light, and how we interact with, with each other. But this is a time that, uh, like the Africans and many other cultures knew, it's not just about the physical food you eat. It's about the energy you interact with and okay. how it lays on your body and addresses what is taking place as a disease. The poem, My People, addresses that. You were a little afraid to read it. What's underneath that fear? Oh, you know, uh, because it relates to uh, our boundaries given to us in church. Mm -hmm. Don't say that. Don't look that way. Mm -hmm. Oh, you you going to hell. I said, but where are we now? (laughs) You're trying to give us hell right now. I'm I'm trying to understand, you know, the the stuff that we're given Mm -hmm. that does not make sense. And if you question, then that's a problem. Oh, it's a big problem if you you question. Yeah. The SS is another piece in the book that talks about that. Mm -hmm. The revolution will not be televised, you said, in the Black Panther poem. All they asked, how many guns did you have? That's all they cared about. Mm-hmm. Why would they only be concerned with the guns and not the services, the guns and not the lives you were saving, the guns and not the health of the humans in the building? 
this is uh, why we were honoring Dr. Talbert Smalls yesterday. He set up, you know, the George Jackson Free Health Clinic. I couldn't believe that they called 23 years later to ask how many guns we had at the George Jackson Clinic. Well, actually, they said the Black Panther Clinic. Uh, 23 years later, I remember being so upset, so hurt. I was uh, shaking and crying because I remember being tired, um, single mom, also getting, you know, some credits because I was in nursing school, Mm -hmm. wanted to further my education. We were completing, you know, chemistry exams and doing calculus. I know this one sister, she was, you know, working on becoming a doctor and Many of us just had our thing, and Smitty was, you know, he was helping with the pharmacy, and uh, we were doing what was necessary for our community because no one else would. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. And then 23 years later, they're going to ask how many guns we had. Yeah. So, you know, that may have been... In some other space, I don't know. I never, I never saw guns. I, you know, I, I saw math problems. I saw chemistry problems. I saw. <laughs> I saw <laughs> you saw people. I saw physiology, and I saw people mm-hmm. who needed help. Who, who needed help? This man that came in with a lump on the back of his neck had high blood pressure, like I've never seen anyone have high blood pressure like that before in my life. And it was like 200 and something over 100 and something. Mm. And he, and I said, how are you walking around like this? And he would just say, oh, yeah, I'm standing. <laughs> I'm going to get through this. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, apparently you apparently are. Brother, so. Apparently ooh, so. Oh, he was an elder. And then when we started the uh, methadone program, to help eradicate the heroin addictions and opioid addictions and addictions that were taking place because they were bringing drugs in black neighborhoods to weaken the black power base. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that way you, you have people fighting each other once there's drugs in the community. Anyway, so how many guns? Not how many services were provided or, you know, how many what lives we did, how saved. many people we served per day or what days of the week we were open. All of that is is in uh, the, the poem and then some because it just attached that day that the Tribune called and asked how many guns we had. And uh, I never even checked to see if it was published or... I didn't call anybody back to see what was written. Mm-hmm. I didn't care because if that if that was the first question, what's the point? What's the point? Yeah, you're listening to Full Circle here on KPFA ninety four point one FM. I'm Theodora, your host for tonight's show. You just heard part one of my recent authentic conversation with Tarita McCall. Let's listen to part two of Tarita's recent book launch at the East Side Arts Alliance, featuring her new book, Synchronicity, the Oracle of Sun Medicine. Preface of Three Women. 
1987, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, third generation black psychiatrist, speaks to a conference about her use of the mind's computer. While walking past the library, my head kept turning to a book titled Displayed in the Window. It was then I knew my mind's computer had alerted me to an answer I had been questioning. Somebody's watching. Somebody cares. Somebody's watching. We can feel it in the air. 1990, after Concepts Cultural Galleries meeting, nearing the exit, I stopped. Head turns left, looks down at three stacks of newspapers on the ground, headlines of no interest. I step forward again, but feel unable to move. Somebody's watching. Somebody cares. Head turns again, looks down once more. This time, I stare at stack of papers nearest the exit, where it seems I'm no longer reading headlines that face me. Instead, I'm looking at something my two eyes cannot see. Magnetic force then suddenly takes my hand downward, roots beneath papers, pulling out a headline that seals my fate. White privilege, unpacking the invisible knapsack of racism by Wellesley professor Peggy McIntosh. I was taught to see racism only in individual acts of meanness, not in invisible systems conferring dominance on my group. Of the three groups of papers, this was the only issue. Somebody's watching. Somebody cares. Witnessing what I've seen in classroom, I make copies of this article, place them in teachers' boxes, and over the years I'd hear Pecky McIntosh on the radio speaking somewhere across the country, or I'd watch her on YouTube, and then one day, 23 years later, white privilege article pinned near my desk garners more attention than usual. I'd review it, put it down, move on. Days later, walking to the car from Oakland Farmers Market facing Oakland Convention Center's large windows, I see African, Latinx, and Asian children books on display. What event is this? I asked the Native American couple walking out the door. It's a three-day multicultural conference called NAME, the National Association of Multicultural Educators. You should check it out. I go in and feel led to an area that displays freedom lifted posters. The vendor directs me to a table where my eyes immediately zoom in on a powder blue folder labeled the Privilege Conference. I pick it up, vendor working. The table asks, have you heard of this conference? Only as it relates to an article read years ago entitled White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack of Racism. Yes, that be the one. I believe Peggy McIntosh is still here. Here? Yes, she spoke a little while ago. Where? Vendor gives directions to Peggy McIntosh's table as I begin to trek toward her. I realize I don't have a clue as to what she looks like. Somebody's watching. Somebody cares. I keep walking past 
vendor displays. No one looks like Peggy McIntosh to me. I expect a hipster woman dressed new age. I asked a friend I see if she knows Peggy McIntosh and said she didn't, but could direct me to someone who might. Introduces me to a producer of seldom seen documentaries on civil rights. After our exchange, I ask him if he knows Peggy McIntosh. Yes, I sure do. She looks like Santa Claus's wife, if you can imagine that. I believe she's still here. Her table is on the right side of the aisle. Thank you. I hurry toward the aisle when my eyes instantly engage her description, reading a book. Dang, she does look like Santa Claus's wife. <laughs> Soft tears form, but why? Are you Peggy McIntosh? Yes, I am. I've been distributing your article, White Privilege, for years. It's an honor to meet you. Why are you so honored? You know this information already, don't you? Yes, I do, but I wasn't looking for it. Your article presented itself to me. Tilting her head, she squints her eyes. Was your experience otherworldly? Yes, it was. Do you have time to sit with me? It's why I'm here. I walk to the other side of the table where a chair awaits me. Interesting your experience being otherworldly. Tell me what happened. I explain how my hand was magnetically drawn underneath a stack of papers for an article I couldn't see and how hers was the only one in the pile I withdrew. She then tells me I was accused of being a racist. Couldn't believe it. Considered myself and other whites I respect nice people. When white men, though nice and polite, denied women studies for first year undergrads, calling it extracurricular, that's when the alarm sounded for me. How can your mother, sister, or wife be extra anything? I asked for truth to be revealed, prayed in earnest, couldn't believe what I was shown because I thought I was a good white woman, not a racist. However, I've learned thinking that you're a nice person is not synonymous with behavior. In 1987, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing confirmed that the use of the mind's computer alerted her of answers to that which she questioned. In 1990, my body was magnetically drawn to Peggy McIntosh's article, White Privilege, unconscious of what I was unpacking, and in 2013, I'm drawn to a conference of which I am unaware, meet Peggy McIntosh in person, and listen to her otherworldly education using dreams while our collective realities witness somebody's watching, somebody cares. Somebody's watching. We can feel it in the air. Just so you know, the book has um, other stories in it about crop circles and a number of other things. But I, I just feel because of, of family and energy and that kind of thing, I'm going to do this last piece called Sparrow's Eye. One sunny Sunday afternoon, 
Ascending stairs at Jack London Square, on the courtyard partially barred, I sit at its pinnacle. By bay this day of heat, my senses drink greedily. Vault of heaven, bright blue, swaddles, family hues, women, men, children, babies, eyes laugh, talk pleasing, folk walking easy, winds blowing breezy. I lift my head towards skies when suddenly sparrow graces my horizon, lands right in front of me, delivers another kind of peace. I feel silent, serene, when all at once its feathers flutter. My spine tingles, I shudder. Like mirrors, we look directly into one another and cock our heads to the same side. A moment of unity confides. We share and stare. Then sparrow flies and flies with a piece of my light and sparrows in me. Three days later, near my lap's end, another sparrow descends, so quick, so near, without fear. It was as if sparrow demanded I stop. So I did as it hopped from my right to my left and looked up at me. Must be a kindred spirit, I think. Amazed, I looked down at this little miracle on the ground and sense a heaviness release. I feel lighter, a bit more free. Then sparrow flies and flies with a piece of my light and sparrows in me. Now the next day, more happens than I wish to say, but Sparrow's theme continues to play. Thursday night, open mic at inner city's blues joint. I sat listening to poetry and prose. A spoken word neared its close. A woman asked inner city if she could sing. So she sang this very old song. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Well, his eyes are on the sparrow. And I know sparrows have been watching me. In studies of cultural anthropology, birds are sign offerings of messages to come. To the shaman priest, the sparrow means desire, fertility of race, and the power of song. Thank you. Who will pay reparations on my soul? Master poet and storyteller Gil Scott Heron asking, Who will pay reparations on my soul? Before the music break, we heard part two of Tarita McHale's recent book launch at Eastside Arts Alliance, featuring her book, Synchronicity The Oracle of Sun Medicine. The room was filled to capacity that night, and I didn't see anyone walk out of there without a book in their hand. Let's listen to the last part of my recent authentic conversation with Tarita. 
Can you tell us who Frances Crest Welsing and Peggy McIntosh are? Okay. Well, well, Frances Crest Welsing was the one that talked about melanin. She was third generation black psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. She spoke to that and and melanin and how less melanated people were afraid and are afraid and uh, will try to do many things to diminish those with melanin. Okay. And uh, Dr. Uh, or Peggy McIntosh is a Wellesley uh, professor. She wrote um, an article that went out in 1999 called White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack mm-hmm. of Racism, where she broke down and numbered many things regarding the privilege white people are given. And I had never seen that written out so eloquently. No. And when we finally, I finally met her, I mean, the, the way her article came, I was not looking for. Mm-hmm. And then when I finally got a chance to meet her, I was not looking for her. Both times, somebody's watching and somebody who cares around the well-being of humanity mm-hmm. opened up those doors so those things can be read and that discussion could be had about how we came about coming across her article and how she came across writing that article. She wrote about white privilege. And just as you said, she numbered different ways that white people are privileged. But I'm wondering if you could talk about the difference between white privilege, white supremacy, or is it the same thing? Well, they're the same thing. Uh, in in a sense, but as uh, Peggy said, she thought she was a good white woman. She could not believe her black friends would call her racist. Once you get real comfortable in your skin and you are allowed privileges that, you know, you just don't pay attention to, you don't regard yourself as a white supremacist. But once she said she she prayed and asked, for things to be revealed, she could not believe what was being revealed. But then she recognized that this is a privilege. White supremacists, to me, know what they got, and they're about holding it down. They are about holding white supremacy to the ladder of, yes, we're, we're white supremacists, and so what? Yes, we're better than you, and so what? Whereas Peggy McIntosh was, you know, humanity isn't going to fare well if one group thinks they're better than the other. Mm -hmm. And so to me, those are the differences. One believes that they're white supremacist, and the other one discovers that they are involved in the white supremacy or entitlement attitude and uh, tries to eradicate it. Even though they're nice. Yeah, and that's what she said. That She thought people that she was interacting with nice white men and women. But she realized that behavior was not synonymous with being nice. Hmm. The title of your book, what was? tell me a little bit about the inspiration for synchronicity. Well, synchronicity is 
you know, when the universe says it's time for you to be in touch with something, it puts you in touch with it. Mm -hmm. The oracle becomes that. Timing. Mm -hmm. Now the world is ready for what you have to say now. Yes, for what many have to say now. Yes. And so the oracle is, yes, let me tell you this chunk of information so we can move on to the next step that's necessary Mm -hmm. to heal ourselves, to heal our families, to heal our minds and spirits. Let's let's move on. Yeah. And the oracle um, of the sun, the light that never sleeps. Mm -hmm. I'm going to end with a quote you mentioned by Kwame Ture about Mm. Education in America making you stupid, but <laughs> arrogant in your stupidity. And, yeah. and when I read it, I laughed. But what, what is worse, he said, it makes you arrogant in your stupidity. And I, I, um, I was a journalist. So when I, the last job I had as a lab tech in a psychiatric institution, I later became an investigative news reporter. Okay. And uh, he was one of the people I interviewed. And I... I have that quote from him, as as well as some others. But that one stood out because as I became more educated myself and realized that there were many professors who hated my questions, <laughs> I'm imagine. trying to be clear about what you're saying. And then I had this elder tell me at the time, well, Tarita, you, you know, uh, you can't ask a question that you don't think they can answer. I said, well, I didn't think they couldn't answer it. I just want to know. <laughs> I'm just trying to be. This is the teacher. This, this is the teacher. This She's the a teacher. professor. He, she, professor. Mm-hmm. So I, I have other stories about them that'll be forthcoming. Mm-hmm, I'm sure. March the 10th, you'll be at City Lights in right. San Francisco. And on March the 22nd at Marcus Books. I don't have times, though. Okay, so Marcus Books, it'll be at 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock. And what about City Lights, which is coming up in a couple of days? And that's at 7 o'clock. At 7 Mm o'clock. And April 1st through April the 4th, you'll be at the Mission Creek Festival in Iowa. Yes. Wow. I'm honored that I was asked to attend. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Is there anything else you want to add? I will say that a Qigong master said that this was a gift, that I have been using Qigong energy healing since 1978. Okay. And she said this was a gift. And so I have been using it where I can use it, and I've seen babies come that otherwise may not have been here because wombs Mm -hmm. have been saved. Yes. Because you've been doing this a very long time. Oh, yeah. And lots of people have been healed. Yes, and lots of people are, you know, finding other methods and ways of healing. You know, there were infinite, numberless, tactful ways Mm. to heal. I know I used to be a, a bit anxious, and I think that's because my mother passed when I was 10. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to see anybody go through what I went through. You know, 205 pounds, half my face going dead from Bell's palsy, alopecia, extreme acne, and uh, having to go, you know, into foster care, younger sisters uh, going through what they went through in foster care, and just not having that connection. And then so thankful my mother left me with 
that connection to everything because mm-hmm. we would talk about spirit. Okay. We would talk about things. So, and my father always planted in the backyard. There was a connection they had from the South that allowed that holistic point of view to come through me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why she would go to Chinatown on the weekends. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why I was asked to rewrite a 1,200-year-old Buddhist allegory or why I felt so comfortable in China. There are many things I do not understand, Mm -hmm. but I do know it didn't require the body needing to be sacrificed to see. Hmm. Now that's a good place to stop. Wow, yes. Yes. We're good. Welcome back to Full Circle, right here on KPFA 94.1 FM. We've been listening to Tarita McCall's poetry readings from her recent book launch at Eastside Arts Alliance. You also heard our authentic conversation about her journey and her insights. Believe it or not, we've run out of time. I've been your host, Theodora. I hope you enjoyed tonight's show. We'll have links to Tarita's upcoming book readings on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, along with other resources and information on where you can get her book, Synchronicity, The Oracle of Sun Medicine. Don't miss the next episode of my series, Healing Racialized Trauma in the African-American Community, airing on April 3rd, when I'll be talking to Enola Aird of the Community Healing Network. Tune in next week to Full Circle for another episode of Do-Rags and Conversations with Dat Boy Media featuring Colorism Part 2. Our executive producer is Mickey Mays. Our technical director is Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. Big thanks to Hannah on the board and Natalie, our technical assistant tonight. I've been your host, Theodora. Thank you for joining us on Full Circle. La Onda Bajita, up next. Stay tuned.